choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Welcome back to the Forecast Roundtable. I'm your host, Dan Darling. Joining me is Derek Bisaccio and Matthew Bears. And this is a continuation of our previous podcast on creeping conflict with Iran. There are two parties involved here. It's right. it's not whether it's the U.S.'s decision um, to retaliate if attacked. Right. And note I said if attacked. I don't think a drone being shot down is reason to launch a full-scale... I, I don't uh, think so nation-on-nation conflict, and so far, in in the 14 hours or whatever right. since, neither does this administration, <laughs> but we shall see. Yeah. Right. So, Derek, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, well, I was uh, a little bit kind of leading from that. So so the, the other problem that the Trump administration faces is, is so if you want to respond to something like this, how, how do you go ahead and do so? Do you need in, to? And do, and do you need to, certainly. And But so when you look at, when you look at Syria, for example— Trump has mostly steered clear of uh, addressing um, Bashar al-Assad and his government, but there have been a few instances where He's also um, there's been chemical so. warfare. There's also been you know apparent right. chemical um, warfare uh, going on since Trump has taken office, where there was a few you know reports of some really bad attacks, and he launched tomahawks. These are one-off salvos. Uh, mostly to mostly to you know demonstrate resolve and also to give kind of you know an idea that you know the united states can and perhaps will respond to this but how do you do that with with iran obviously you can do the you know the economic pressure campaign which is which is great but it's not as hard of a it's not as hard of a response as you know firing a salvo of tomahawks but firing a salvo of tomahawks at Bashar al-Assad versus firing that at at Iran is a big difference because Iran has a lot of ways to respond to it and so in you know in that I think Trump's navigating not only whether to respond whether this rises to that level whether all these little pinpricks that have occurred rise to the level of you know of a response but also how do you go about doing it obviously back in, in the 1980s the United States carried out yeah, the tanker um, war, the tanker war mm-hmm. and they wiped out a lot of the Navy. But Iran's in a different place now than mm-hmm. it was then and has a, a mm-hmm. much, much more. They've been able to learn from that experience. Right. They have a much more developed missile capacity through the IRGC. And they've got a, a much stronger proxy network that can cause issues in Saudi Arabia, in they Iraq. An allied network. They just helped out Syria big uh, time. Without a question. Without, yeah. without Iranian support um, and obviously Russian Assad's gone, or he's on a sliver of land abutting the Mediterranean, yeah. and we have chaos throughout the. I mean, rest not like of Syria. not like Syria has the the most capabilities right now to help out Iran, but still, it's somebody who Syria, owes Iran a debt. Yeah, I always sure. kind of saw Syria as a way station for Russian arms going into right. Iran. Yeah, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. it more in the earlier, you know, the last decade, but um, yeah. So, uh, you were mentioning the Iranians are trying to gauge what the Trump administration's reactions or what they want right. out of um, out of the situation. And I think one question I would have for you is which Iranian government? Because <laughs> you know, um, are we talking about the Rouhani government? Or are we talking about the clerical regime that actually is the power? Not the democratic pretense, right? Well, I think I think definitely the Trump administration has kind of, uh, in in its approach, has kind of undercut 
um, the you know the obviously that are you know they're often referred to as the moderates, if you will. The but um, Hassan Rouhani love that. and his always government love that label there <laughs> that are more um, more willing to be accommodative. Um, they've been undercut by this whole um, by this whole um, turn of events. I think they uh, it, it didn't help that they kind of oversold some of the expected returns from the nuclear deal. The idea was, okay, we give up enrichment, we give up a lot of these facilities. Um, we've you know forestalled doing a lot of this work, and in return, we're going to get a slew of international investment. You know, Ron's yeah, economy is going to open well up, and and it's going to you know, and it's going to be great. But then what you know what happened? What they found out was that a lot of people, a lot of investors, were still really leery, mm-hmm. and very quickly, obviously, you had a change of administration in the United States that took a different stance. Which made investors also very leery. If you were oh, looking, good, if yeah, you were, reason, want, if you were looking, if you were <laughs> they looking, they want predictability and market. If, if you were yeah, looking right. to be an investor in 2017, you're looking and you're saying, okay, what what opportunities are there in Iran? You're not going to do it because you're looking at the Trump administration and saying, well, gosh, they might leave the deal and they might start imposing sanctions. As right. happened, and they that did. That is the problem in with 2018. Those deals is yes, anything that kind of so, is subject to the whims of an executive, right? Obviously. And so, and so, what ends up happening is that the um, officials that sold this deal and that went to the Supreme Leader and said, you know, we can make a deal, we can make this work, and we can, you know, kind of find a, you know, a, a path here, they're completely discredited. Because now Iran's gone ahead and they've signed onto this deal. They've given up a lot of, you know, enrichment. They've um, sent out a lot of the, you know, stockpiles of uranium. And they got, they got nothing for it. They don't have anything to show. And so that really elevates, you know, you ask who, who's kind of, the one running the show that really elevates the IRGC and they've, if you, you know, the, all of the events that we've seen with, you know, with the tankers or with this latest drone shoot down, this is all being led by the IRGC. Same with all the, you know, all the proxy incidents in Iraq and Yemen. This is all being led by the IRGC. So this is starting to become their show. And were they, where did they fall inside that nuclear deal? I forget. Um, Cause I remember going, were they, did we, if I remember right, we lifted the label of terrorist group on them under that deal, or am I way off base there? It relaxed some of the restrictions yeah, on I, it, I, on it, definitely. And I mean, and I know the thinking behind that to right. get the deal done. I, I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to that remember. Was, I, yeah, that was, loose. especially some of the top officials relaxed some of the pressure on it with the, you know, with the idea being that, okay, we'll give ease, you a little more latitude. We'll ease off. Good faith. Yeah. As a good favorite, yeah. So the idea was to ease off, and then obviously, uh, you know that that changed very quickly, and so so um, so really, what you've what you've seen is that the the IRGC is kind of ascendant right now. They're looking, especially all all the hardliners that said the United States can't be trusted. They're never going to go through with this. They're always going to be trying to you know undercut or destroy Iran or at least destroy its government. They're all looking vindicated. They're saying, right. "Say we we told you so. This right. is why we yeah. told you this," and and so that's obviously really hurt the you know the current administration. And I don't um, the current administration in Iran that being President Rouhani. Right. Um, and so where that where that becomes problematic is if you're the Trump administration, you're looking to de-escalate this. Do you just leave it as is there's been right. obviously some some reports behind the you know behind the scenes that they're looking to get talks with iran and iran's come out and said no 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 we're never going to talk um well they might say we what, already did talk and it, 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 well, exactly it, it, exactly and so i think at, at this point it's kind of a um 
a volatile status quo, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't think I don't think President Rouhani is going to be able to go ahead and say, "Let me go back to the table. I'll do better this this time, or yeah, we'll get a better I, I deal this time." Impression. I know he's especially um, form their foreign minister is very you know he's very adept. He's a very good uh, diplomat. Uh, that being uh, Zarif. But even he was ready to resign. He he actually did resign and then had to be reeled back in, mostly because he saw uh, the IRGC as kind of usurping his his um, his role. That that was with respect to Syria. But um, I think just in general, I think you're seeing that the you know, they've the Rouhani government's really been marginalized by this. And so I don't I don't think that's possible for them to really go ahead and say let us go back to the table. And I think Iran's also looking at this and saying, why don't we see if we can last long? You know, if we can if we can keep holding out against yeah. these sanctions, if our res- you know, the, at the, the resistance economy, clock. if you will, yeah. if yeah, if you if if this if this if the way that we've developed our economy, such as it is, is able to sustain us for you know another year and a half or so, then we'll be able to see whether whether President Trump's actually going to win his reelection. In which case, you know, you'd have another four years, and you'd really need to probably come to the table or at least find some way to lessen the pressure or you know maybe you get a little bit more of a um of an administration willing to i think kind of work with you in the same way the obama administration did um outside of that i think iran's also hoping that pressure from the european union pressure from russia maybe even pressure from china Mm -hmm. um, through agencies like the security council and elsewhere um, might be able to back the united states down Obviously, the United States has been willing to go ahead and act, you know, in lieu, yeah, yeah, unilaterally and in lieu of having, you know, the kind of a broad-based coalition. Um, but because those op- operations, Iraq being the infamous example, have not really gone all that well, the question is whether the United States really, you know, really will kind of waltz into a situation with Iran, with most of the rest of the world, saying, "Don't do it." And I imagine the rest of the world will be saying right, too. right, and so it's 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 a it's kind of a it's a, it's a dangerous wait and see because you still have all these little incidents going on where they're trying to demonstrate where the red lines are or how they would respond mm-hmm. to crossing those red yeah, lines. How do we test each other to, just up to the brink? Right, and it doesn't it doesn't help that neither has any real communication between them. Uh, they probably have some sort of you know back channels through, through, channel. through, through that, perhaps that through Oman or, or or ideally you know even maybe through Qatar because Qatar's relations mm-hmm. with Iran kind of improved after the the, the blockade that got put on them mm-hmm. so maybe you know that gives you an option to develop communication I'm, I would imagine they've already explored that idea but you really don't have any great dialogue going between the two countries no and so there's diplomatic a, relations and so there's Jeez. a there's That's... a real um dangerous risk of uh, obviously of miscalculation with that hey we got the german foreign minister going to tehran (laughs) there's only so much you can get with indirect anybody can help it's gonna be him yeah well i mean obviously communication is key because you want to gauge what their red lines are right and 
And you want to be able to, if you're if you're Iran, you want to be able to find out. Like, does does Trump actually want to overthrow this this regime? Right. Is he uh, even clearly if regime survival? You know, even if the, it's even if it's not an invasion, is is Trump just banking on you know an uprising throwing over the regime? However, that, what, that whatever remote that possibility is, work. is that what you know? Is that what the Trump administration's end goal is, or are they really right. just trying to get you know a little bit more expansive well, of yeah, the nuclear let, deal? Piggyback on that for a minute. Wait, mm-hmm. Now. Trump didn't like the Iran nuclear deal, and, and there were a slew of legitimate criticisms to be leveled at it. But going forward, if he could renegotiate it, just like he likes to renegotiate NAFTA and you know whatever win mm-hmm. he has, what I mean, didn't he put something out like twelve points? Uh, toward, and I mean, one of them, yeah, I read one I, of them was removing all Iranian forces from Syria. And just that that's not so, even a starting point. Right. And it kind of it kind of reminds me of the same uh, the same points that um, the Saudi Arabia and the UAE put on Qatar when they said, Qatar, if you want this blockade lifted, here's, you know, a number of points that are effectively asking for you to to um, e- void your own sovereignty. And so, yeah, and so I think Iran's probably looking at that, and well, and definitely looking at that, and saying, "No, we're you know never going to meet those demands. We're not even going to come close." But it's a game of chicken, almost. Yeah, you know, the the question obviously is is whether the Trump administration is actually looking for all twelve of those to be Mm -hmm. satisfied. Oh no, no, not at all. He's oh, you know what? You can keep them in Syria, and the rest of the points. Well, right. I mean, well, is that's it a, a middle ground yeah. right there. And the answer it's a is zero probably, sum starting negotiation. Yeah, the answer point, is probably but. somewhere well, bet- well, you know, well below that. But I think really the, the the question that the United States thought it had answered, I think, under the Obama administration, but but clearly hadn't, or at least for um, you know the other the other political party had not answered, is is when you're when you're addressing Iran and you're addressing Iran's nuclear program, what are you looking to get out of it? Are you looking to address strictly the nuclear program? Or are you looking to do this kind of the ancillary overarching, you know, yeah. foreign policy reform? Obviously, you know, they'll 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 cloak it in in language and say that Iran needs to act as a, you know, as a as a normal member of the international community, or however they want to phrase it. And what they're and what they're but what they're saying with that is, especially with where the IRGC is active throughout the region, they want to see that curtailed. Uh, but the question is whether the United States can really be satisfied not doing that and doing a narrow. You know, a narrow deal. I'd go for none of the above. They probably didn't know obviously, what they were doing. Obviously, the Just Trump administration guess. was not satisfied with that because that was one of their key, one of Trump's key criticisms. When you know you look at either his criticisms of it or a lot of his top officials, their criticisms of the nuclear deal, it, it kind of rested on a few things. I touched on these earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was the you know the the sunset provisions, if you if mm-hmm. you will. That's yeah, strictly right. related to the nuclear program, and the right. idea being that. A lot of those restrictions that came into play on the Iranian nuclear program would be eased and then eventually removed over time. You would still have Iran's obviously a, a signatory of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, so they would still be subject to you know, all of the you know the safeguards that come into play with that. But some of the um, you know above and beyond safeguards that came into play with the with the nuclear deal, those would go away. And so where, where many critics looked at that is they said, well, basically what you're saying is you can't build a nuke now. You can build it in 15 years. Right, right. And uh, Iran, obviously, for the record, says it's not pursuing a nuclear weapon, but the United States suspect it is. And so when you look at that, you're saying, well, we're, we're foregoing that now just to only have to deal with this again in 15 years. So why not deal with it now? And 
then the United States has also looked at Iran's uh, ballistic missile program, which is related, obviously, to its its nuclear program. If you do go ahead and develop a nuclear warhead, you need a means to deliver it to right. whoever your you know enemy that you're intending the program for is. But just in general, um, as I was saying, with Iran carrying out the strikes in Syria, the ballistic missile strikes in Syria, they're very uh, open about saying that these missiles are their deterrent against all of their regional enemies, including the United States' regional bases. And so another criticism that the U.S. has had is that the deal has not addressed Iran testing these weapons. Iran has said that it will absolutely never submit to having these weapons you know, completely uh, banned from, from testing. The question is whether they would, whether they would allow... A, you know, a, a block on, say, testing long-range weapons or, say, right. testing I mean, a... self-defense is one thing. Right. Um, First-strike weapons are another. Right. And so so that's that's another area where, where they had, a, you know, a criticism with the nuclear deal is that it didn't address, you know, the missile program. And then it, the, the, the real last uh, kind of criticism with it was that it, you know, it doesn't address... Uh, Iran's activities in Syria doesn't address where they've, you know, they've brought a lot of militia of militias from Iraq or, you know, they've conscripted people from uh, refugees from Afghanistan or from Pakistan to go to Syria and to help uh, the Syrian government out. Obviously, Iran is also a supporter of Hezbollah in, in Lebanon, in which it's been active in Syria, and has also provided support to Ansar Allah in Yemen, and the nuclear deal didn't address that. And Obviously, the the Obama administration's perspective on that is okay. Well, we get one step, and that'll help deescalate right. we it. We can't we can't fold everything under one. Maybe tree. we'll yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll you know the you know in time building a foundation of trust, we can deescalate those. Obviously, in the short term, that doesn't happen. You know, Iran still even throughout the nuclear negotiations, and even while currently you know the IAEA has been saying, well, they're compliant with the nuclear deal. Obviously, there's still you know that didn't change the IRGC's approach to foreign policy right deal wasn't intended to but it hasn't you know it hasn't right. resulted in any de-escalation in their approach to it you still have the you know the rivalries being rife as ever and so the question is with those three issues with the you know the long-term nuclear deal the missile program and the IRGC's activities you know is it would the Trump administration be able to get a deal on all three of those I yeah, I am skeptical, especially before the election. Right, and well, it's one of them. right, exactly, because that's their leverage. Right, and, and especially for 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 Trump, you would not want to be, uh, you know, unless you had a home run deal, and Iran's not going to give you that. But unless you had a home run deal, you you're not going to make any concessions right, before it, that. Election. It's almost like they want the perfect result. They want to shape the perfect world, but Iran has its own interests in the region, and and right. So and, so do yeah. you have regime change? Do you accept? Iranian influence, uh, you know, through the Middle East and at the um, cost of allied faith. And a I use the word allied. Right. Allies, you know, are, are some of our Arab allies are al allies of convenience. Right. Um, or less partners. Than yeah. Partners, yeah. And, and which is the way of geopolitics. But what it just seems like there's so many... Um, different shades that sometimes it's being narrowed down to a black and white where it's regime change or, um, you know, accepting Iranian influence. And it's a little bit more, happy. yeah, it's that, that part of the world is, is Americans, especially our foreign policy community should know it's much 
trickier than just uh, you know um or, one or the other right regime and, 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 and will and never work they, those many, people uh, are proud of their country if they if they see that the united states is stepping in and intervening in their country in any way that's the minute might, that would be yeah that would yeah any what, foreign sponsored regime yeah. change would, would, well, would well one of the but, things yeah. would be how motivated would iran not irgc but iranian armed forces right. be to fight an offensive war versus the u.s is invading their soil and that's assuming i mean i don't want to jump the shark uh, right right but, right no but, but under that but, scenario, but under the yeah. scenario where u.s forces are like we do what we did in uh, gulf war Two, right and that's it we can't do with you anymore we're sending an invasion force now suddenly those soldiers who aren't really enthused by the clerical regime the mullahs might be more a lot more willing to lay their life on oh, the oh, abso- in defense ab- of their absolutely. own soil that that's absolutely they'll send absolutely. people that's that a with human grenades thing. strapped to them are you kidding right. me they won't even right. be soldiers they'll just send women and children out there with freaking grenades strapped to them jump under tanks well that could be that's i it. mean they <laughs> we you know if you read about the first um well the iran iraq war in the 80s and and how the IRGC conducted some of that when, uh, that conflict early on when they were running out of material. It's, you it's know, defending it, it their is, country. Um, you do what you can. You do what it's you It's pretty have frightening to. stuff. Yeah. Right. You can't it's, defeat that. It's no yeah. Way. If you get if you get into an exceptional escalation, it's hard to see how that how that comes to you know a nice end point. Yeah. And, and, and the amount of and so that I think we'd have to double the amount of force we had in Gulf War Two. Right. It's a, it's so, a larger so Trump's, country. Trump's, Trump's oh, yeah. looking at this and he's yeah. saying, oh, you know, my gosh, this is my Iraq for George Bush, mm-hmm. or this is my you know Libya, Libya wasn't as Barack much of a on the ground force, yeah. but that's oh my gosh, this is my Libya. This is my this is my Syria also with but the that Obama goes administration. His, his uh, elections platform. His platform was to get out of the Middle no, East, yeah, not embroil us yeah. any more well, conflicts. I mean, that, that's you know, that's the point. It's right. it's it's something that sucks you in. Yeah. And um, how do you definitely manage it? And right. that might be where I, th- he, I think he, that's he, where he would, his unilateral instincts, um, his uh, you know blood and soil nationalism, so right. to speak, uh, <laughs> are not serving him well in this case because right. this is where you need ally consensus and right. and you know europeans aren't going to fall for number two of no. regime change in, right. in the no. middle east it's number one was ugly enough and so right. whether right or wrong morally or however you want to paint it um the u.s doing undertaking another such conflict comes with a high cost uh right already this administration started off on on negative footing with allies who are far more willing to be blunt to be right. they're they're always going to be willing to um, engage with any administration it's right. in their interests but they feel more comfortable with democratic administrations they always have since at least Ronald Reagan yeah. um, it doesn't mean that they won't work because Reagan got a lot done, uh, as we saw by the end of the Cold War. Right. But Trump is a unique individual, to say the least. Right. And he he didn't his style and his um, undiplomatic manners aren't exactly going to uh, win him many converts in Europe. 
Yeah. And so, I'm just using Europe because right. I know Except when you read the New York Times Hungary. or the Washington Post, it's always, what are the Europeans right. saying? But I, I, I mean, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South yeah. Korea, you have to, something of this nature, you have to have as much global goodwill behind right. you. Um, right. Because wars in the, in the modern era are as much public relations campaigns as we've yeah. seen, you know, irregular warfare and uh, post-Korea conflicts are, tend to be really um, borne out in, in, in the news and in the right. Yeah, and I, I, th I think what really, um, what really has kind of hurt the Trump administration's approach to Iran is when, when they left the deal, obviously they had a number of, of criticisms with it, but they left the deal and didn't appear to really have a good approach for what they were going to do right. after Absolutely. it you know the next day and i, and the I, allies I remember felt, the nato of, allies felt dismissed right and I, I remember ahead of time i read uh, john bolton the previous summer before he had joined uh the trump administration he had you know wrote in uh, written <laughs> <laughs> written a uh, uh an op-ed that that looked at you know how you could go ahead and get out of the deal but what he didn't really have is how you could go ahead and do whatever it was you wanted to do thereafter. Right. The, the idea Getting was out kind of the deal of, is easy. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> I think kind of the, the the thought behind it is we get out of the deal and the the pieces will fall into place, but they haven't. Right. Um, everything pieces have actually really just well, fallen apart. That's pretty magical. Yeah. And like yeah, and so I I think it really what what kind of the the administration's thought was that you escalate the the economic pressure, you make it completely unbearable. I think also they saw earlier that same year when they left the deal, they saw all the protests against the Iranian government. And so they might have had kind of a distorted view of where they might be able to hit the Iranian government. And so they went ahead and left that deal, but they haven't been able to kind of reconcile where they go from there. And there's been a number of reports that they've reached out to Iran, that they've tried to talk to Iran, and that the Iranians have gleefully said, we've rejected these, Whether, wherever that's gone. The idea being that they haven't been able to kind of find the, the sweet spot in how to pressure Iran, bring in international parties to agree with you without having to browbeat them into it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Europeans have reduced their... Uh, they had like this investment vehicle to work with Iran and it was supposed to be able yeah. to circumvent sanctions and all right. this, but it's been extremely limited in scope. And in part, in a large part of that, that's from you know, American uh, hard pressure on that. But the United An States American hasn't been able to bring people in without really threatening them with sanctions. And so that makes it really difficult to have a lot right. of parties that are looking to come in and be proactive in this the one thing and really to support the administration's policy towards it. Right. I just the U.S. I think, regardless of administration, would worry about dual use items. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Iran, because you know that that could be um, used for military capability. So, um, well, we'll wrap it up real quick. But I, I do think it, it. The interesting thing to me, and I'll leave it. Let you guys see how you feel on this, but. It, it seems when the U.S. has a policy toward, when they approach, an incoming administration approaches Iran or any other um, potential foe or strategic rival, um, and, and I don't want to oversell Iran. They're, they're no global superpower or anything of that nature, but they are, it's an issue 
for the foreign policy establishment to have to deal with as a national security matter. Um, it's interesting to me that it, it comes in as either we can go this alone and take care of it ourselves. Why do we need our allies? Why do we need the UN? And, and or it's um, what do the what do the French think? What do the Brits think? And it just seems that it's it's there's no sweet spot that we hit in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know I think what I mean. I, I mean, think I think that's a good. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. And it's all carrot and no stick, or all stick and no carrot. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. And especially, yeah, especially with dealing with Iran, because a lot of the incentives that force the United States to act don't actually pressure most of the other actors involved. So, like the European Union, for example, isn't really threatened by Iran. Iran, no, no, absolutely. There's not. there's been. A number of incidents where some Hezbollah operatives have been arrested in in Europe or stockpiling explosives or apparently look to carry out attacks, not geared towards looking at Iranian expats, mm-hmm. not looking at, you know to blow up you know say you know like British uh, you know important infrastructure or what have you. Other than that, though, for the most part, Iran doesn't threaten those countries, right. yeah, Iran and so they don't it's have not an the same. Yeah, they don't have the they don't have the existential threat. They're not reliant on gas coming from that region per se, because uh, a lot of their gas is coming from uh, from Russia or Norway or Norway. Yeah, exactly. And so they don't have that exact um, that exact threat perception, and they don't have as extensive of deployment in in the region. Obviously, they do have some bases and and things like that, but for the most part, they don't have as much of a presence, and it's not as big of a threat. And so, when you have a crisis like this, it's I think it's a lot easier for the United States to look at this and say, well, how do we respond through, to this through force? Whereas the Europeans are, are more looking at this and saying, well, this doesn't, you know, this doesn't necessitate the French to have to come in and, right. and, and you know, and, and, yeah. and de- deploy Rafals and start carrying out airstrikes. Uh, the British are obviously close partners of the United States and will and will assist the United States, but it also, you know, this isn't a threat to them. Iran they has don't want to be dragged a, into a shooting war. Yeah, where and Iran has made it's a divisive in their uh, own public. Yeah, Iran has made a point to say that its its missiles are capped at at about a two thousand kilometer range maximum. That, as far as I can tell, is not a technology limit. That seems to be a political limit. Obviously, they can change that if political circumstances dictate. But what that means is that you're not putting in any missiles into service that can actually hit Europe. Right. So the only thing that you're hitting with those are are in region. And so the idea being that. If you're, you know, if you're Europe, you you really don't see this as that that grave of a threat. Versus Washington, obviously, has a different perception on it. Washington and also has a lot closer ties yeah. with with uh, Saudi Arabia and with mm-hmm. the UAE, which all, obviously all have a very different threat perception to the Europeans because they're within the range of those missiles. They're seeing Iranian proxies active throughout the region, and so kind of bringing these competing incentives together, while also you, know, you bring them together, but also trying to find the sweet spot in policy towards Iran, like what you want out of Iran. Because I don't even know if the United States at times really knows what it wants out of Iran. No, they don't. Yeah, let alone don't corralling either. all the different actors involved mm-hmm. that you would need to to agree on a you know a vision for this, mm-hmm. and then get the Iran- the Iranians to agree to it. I don't, I don't think the, there's really a, a sense of it. And so all of that together, you get a little bit of half steps. You get these policies that'll come into effect and then they get reversed the next administration you get actions that seem to be where you seem to be you know removing from the region and then you're escalating your presence in the region and then you're doing the reverse 
And so nobody can really get a sense of where Washington is on this. Right. And it's your, you know, your leery of overextending and saying, you know, especially if you're in Europe, you're leery of overextending and saying, going very hard against Iran. And then all of a sudden you get a change of administration and the next guy comes in and he's yeah. not as, Policy he's not approach. as anti-Iran as, you know, right. as the previous guy. And you've just been out here saying, you know, talking all kinds of tough talk. And now you're kind of left alone. It's almost like you need another containment policy like the cold war where it was the soviets versus the u.s and we'll you know contain the communist world and eventually it'll burn itself out because the the reason i'm that just popped my head is it was the the so-called green revolution in 2009 i believe it was 2009 2009, in iran where those protesters went to the streets and at that time we really wanted a nuclear deal with iran and you know the contrast with solidarity in poland in 1980 and the u.s being we're not going to interfere but let the world know we stand behind the protesters right and well we so let me uh let let me let me jump in on that so so i think i think the trump administration saw its chance or thought it saw its chance to rectify that in early 2018 so yeah in 2009 you had you know you had this mass movement uh you had a lot of people that were very upset because it you know it seemed like the elections had been you know had been rigged and all kinds of other issues you know boil below the surface and you get (laughs) (laughs) and you get uh and and you get you know obviously you get all the other little grievances that have you know that have bothered you over the years all these problems they all kind of boil together and you get a huge movement out in the streets as you're saying obviously the obama administration is looking at this and saying well we want a deal with iran and so if we go out and that I think they were worried about poisoning the well Absolutely, too early. Sure. Yeah. But what that what that does mean is you take a back seat, you watch that movement fail, and then and get slaughtered in the process. And you miss an you you miss an opportunity to really define not only a, well like your example not you know pu- uh, you know, pu- putting a real divide between the Islamic Republic of Iran and mm-hmm. in, in Iran. Because you have obviously are you legitimizing the regime right or are you able to cut a deal with a regime you don't like while still speaking to the Iranian people. Exactly. And I think exactly. that's the difficult And so yeah, and navigation. so when when you had all these protests that started uh, early early last year in Iran, they were not anywhere as big as the 2009 one, but they were very they were very widespread and you also had people that were out in the streets. This wasn't necessarily the you know the only thing that you were hearing, but you were hearing a lot of people that were questioning the legitimacy of the uh, of the Islamic Republic itself, questioning all the rules that are in place for uh, for the theocracy, and so I think the Trump administration saw that and said, "Well, he, you know, here's our chance to chart a different course." Those protests have, have died out, and now they're left with, "Well, okay, we've poisoned the well, we left the deal, but how are we going to come back from that?" Right. It's a conundrum. <laughs> it's it's definitely a, a difficult region to get a handle on, and there's so many strands in the not just the U.S. Iran relationship, but the the regional um, stance towards Iran and the world stance towards Iran. I mean, this this we you could go back to the Shah 
um, and we don't obviously have time for it. But <laughs> anyway, um, it is it's definitely a tough environment, and let's hope that rational heads prevail. Right. And right. A very very tough environment, like you said, very complicated. And if uh, anybody out there, any of our listeners, wants some more information on this very complex defense environment, uh, give our salespeople a call, and we'll uh, be happy to provide you some of our amazing products to help you uh, navigate that environment. Thanks for that, Matt. Yeah, no thanks, problem. everybody, for listening.